Welcome to the Digital Edge with Sharon Nelson and Jim Calloway. Your hosts, both legal technologists, authors, and lecturers, invite industry professionals to discuss a new topic related to lawyers and technology. You're listening to Legal Talk Network. Welcome to the 105th edition of the Digital Edge Lawyers and Technology. We're glad to have you with us. I'm Sharon Nelson, president of Sensei Enterprises. And I'm Jim Calloway, director of the Oklahoma Bar Association's Management Assistance Program. Today, our topic is attaining diversity in law firms. Before we get started, we'd like to thank our sponsors. Thanks to our sponsor, Scorpion, which delivers award-winning law firm web design and online marketing programs to get you more cases. Scorpion has helped thousands of law firms just like yours attract new cases and grow their practices. For more information, visit scorpionlegal.com forward slash podcast. Thanks to CloudMask, which offers cost-effective and efficient data encryption for law firms, whether large or small, in Google Apps, Office 365, and other cloud solutions. Sign up now for your 60-day free account at www.cloudmask.com. Thanks to ServeNow, a nationwide network of trusted pre-screened process servers. Work with the most professional process servers who have experience with high-volume serves, embrace technology, and understand the litigation process. Visit ServeNow.com to learn more. We are very pleased to have as our guest John Mitchell. John, the Purple Coach Mitchell, is Managing Director of KM Advisors LLC in Chicago. He spends his days supporting and advising leaders of law firms and legal departments as they navigate a constantly changing marketplace. Thanks for joining us today, John. Thanks, Jim. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm glad that uh, you and Sharon are giving me this opportunity, and uh, I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Well, terrific. We'll get started by asking you what seems to be practically an age-old question at this point. Why is it taking so long to attain diversity in law firms? And somewhere in your answer, can you explain the difference between diversity and inclusion? Because that seems to confuse a lot of folks. Absolutely. Happy to do that. Um, I think that the challenge... Uh, to you know, creating diversity in law firms uh, arises from a fundamental problem that we have in the legal profession, and that is that most of the profession's current leaders really saw the profession as a profession, not as a business. And so what you might see as a business imperative somewhere else is not really seen as one in the legal profession. So most law firm leaders and managers don't see diversity as a priority. It's simply not a business you know, imperative for them, and therefore there's not a lot of effort being made um, to drive changes in our diversity uh, in the profession. And that leads to, I think, an important distinction, Sharon, that you just mentioned, and that's the difference between diversity and inclusion. Diversity is essentially a numbers game. So how many women do we have in the law firm? How many Asian attorneys do we have? How many black attorneys do we have? And so forth. And that is the idea that we can count diversity, and that tells us how we're doing. Inclusion is a little bit different. Inclusion is the idea that everyone who is in that organization feels welcome in that organization, has opportunities in that organization to grow and to prosper. And so some of the diversity consultants who are out there like to talk about diversity as being invited to your college reunion and that, or to the big dance, let's say. And that inclusion is actually then being invited to actually go out on the dance floor and dance, 
right? So it's not enough to simply be in the room. The idea of inclusion is you have opportunities to grow, to prosper, and to thrive in that environment, the same opportunities that other people or that the majority in that group might have. Is that helpful? Yes, very helpful. And I could not have given those definitions, so thank you. We're beginning to hear now about diversity fatigue. Is diversity fatigue a real phenomenon? And if so, how do we combat it? I think diversity fatigue is a real phenomenon. And I think it comes about in a couple different ways. So first, think about medium to large law firms as an example. They often have a chief diversity officer. And diversity fatigue for this person is something that's different than it is for the lawyers in those firms. So if you're a diversity professional in a law firm of any size, one of the things you're constantly doing is trying to fight what you see as the good fight, to try to get people to change their behavior so that their environments become much more inclusive. For most diversity professionals, it's really clear on two levels why diversity is important. It's the right thing to do. So on a moral perspective, most diversity officers believe that. And also there's a business imperative. Uh, There's a lot of research that shows that diverse teams tend to do better. Now, unfortunately, it's not They don't do better because you just throw a diverse group of people together. They do better when you manage that process well, and that takes a lot of time and a lot of effort, and a lot of law firms aren't really willing to do that. So from the diversity professional's view, the fatigue is really a form of burnout. They're trying, they're trying, they're trying. They're doing everything they can to fight that good fight. And frankly, nine days out of ten, they're not moving the needle much at all, if at all, and that can be very tiring and frustrating for those folks. So I think that that's one form of diversity fatigue that we see. The more common expression of diversity fatigue is really for the lawyers in the firm who have perhaps participated in a diversity workshop um, or something like that. And then the firm decides, you know, we haven't done enough or one of our big clients is beating us up. We need to do more. We're going to have another workshop and then we're going to send you to training offsite. And then we're going to do this program with our associates to make them love us even more. And what happens is you end up with um, folks in the firm who are very skeptical to begin with and they quickly fall into cynicism because they believe the programs aren't really designed to accomplish the creation of a more inclusive environment. They think that many of their firm leaders are simply paying lip service, and therefore they wonder, what's the reason that I want to participate in this? And frankly, there's another element as well that comes into play, and that's a concern over a fear. If we do all this, is there going to be a change? And if there's a change, is it going to negatively impact me? And so the cycle just starts to repeat itself where the diversity professionals push hard, push hard, push hard, and don't move the needle and are frustrated. And the folks in the firm feel like, okay, it's one more thing, it's one more thing, it's one more thing. It's not really designed to create change. And both sides of this conversation end up feeling skeptical, end up feeling you know, a little bit worn out, and actually feel like we're having the same conversation over and over and over again. What's the point? It's not getting us anywhere. That's really how I see diversity fatigue, and I think it's a huge problem. Well, I certainly agree with that, and it seems to me it's it's gotten stronger over the years, which is most unfortunate. One of the things I see helping to attain diversity is clients driving uh, law firms to attain diversity, and I see that especially where, as you say, there are, there are numbers of diverse lawyers, but they're not necessarily being used, or perhaps they don't show up in the courtroom, or they sh- show up in the courtroom but don't seem to do anything. So w- what are the ways in which clients are really insisting that their law firms become diverse? This is 
been one of the more interesting developments in the last decade and a half probably is the the clients really starting to drive a lot more of the effort in the legal profession to make it more diverse, and in particular in private law firms to make them more diverse. And there's a couple things that are causing this. And before I talk about what clients are specifically doing with law firms, let's just take a little bit of a look back at the bigger picture about the reason clients are doing this. So I said earlier that it's not really a business priority for most law firms to think about diversity and inclusion. They don't see it as a business imperative. On the other hand, a lot of client organizations see it as an absolute imperative. We live in a time where in the United States, in our lifetime, there will be no majority group. I think the current statistics say by about the year 2042, there will be no specific majority group. So lots and lots of diverse people on all kinds of bases. And figuring out how do you sell to those people is what all of these companies are trying to do, right? They're selling a product, they're selling a service, and they're trying to sell to as many folks as they can in their target market. And those folks typically are diverse. And as a result, those companies are constantly trying to make their own operations more diverse from their employees to the way they market, to the way they advertise, to the way they hire. Everything is focused on trying to reach their target market. And as a result, they're saying to their law firms, you do a lot of work for us, you're very visible, you're a huge part of our spend every year, and we want you to also be more diverse. And so they're using two primary methods. One is a carrot and one is a stick. There's a very large retailer, for instance, that became famous for using a stick early on in this conversation. And the retailer went out and told all of its law firms, You've got about two years to start to figure this out. Here's what we're looking for in terms of diversity from our firms. We need you to start getting there. And by the way, at the end of this period, if you're not there, you're probably going to lose our business. This is a retailer with you know, billions of dollars of legal spend. It got a lot of people's attention. And what it also got was a lot of pushback. A lot of the firms were really, really upset and said, you know, who are you to tell us how to run our business? As we've moved forward in time from those early days, there still are a number of companies that are using a stick approach. You know, you do it this way or you don't get our business. And as I talk with GCs, it's interesting. There are many who believe that for the law firms, they just don't get it and that therefore the stick approach is really the best approach. Fortunately, there's other GCs who are using a combination of carrots and sticks. And the carrot approach, I think, has the best chance of creating some of the change with at least more enlightened law firm leaders. So one of the things that you're seeing out there right now are companies that will promise a certain amount of business to a firm if it gets more diverse. They will promise a lead role for diverse attorneys from that law firm on some of that client's most significant matters. And as we all know, in a law firm, your power is really derived from the business that you bring in and the status of the types of matters that you work on. And so one of the things that the clients are doing is they're looking at the law firm saying, we understand your environment, and we're going to incent you to provide opportunities for diverse lawyers that may not be getting those opportunities so they can develop business and so they can work on high-profile matters. And so those are a couple examples of what clients are doing right now. And I think what we're going to see is this is going to continue to grow. I was facilitating a roundtable conversation with some in-house folks out in Arizona last year. And what was fascinating is the room was almost evenly split between in-house lawyers who said, we are going to start telling our law firms they have to do better and actually telling them who gets credit for our work. And the other group saying, well, we're not going to tell them that, but we're going to hint pretty strongly that that's where we're headed. I suspect if we fast forward five years from now, 
a lot more of corporate America is going to be telling their law firms who they think should be getting credit for the work. And as we all know, that's a hot-button issue in most law firms. John, you mentioned uh, having a chief diversity officer or other staff person dedicated to diversity, but what other things are law firm leaders doing to achieve diversity? That's a great question, Jim, because oftentimes people think that having that chief diversity officer is the answer, and it's not. If you look at the largest firms in the country, they have chief diversity officers and a significant staff, and they're not moving the needle any more than a much smaller firm might be. I think that what's really important is that there are a lot of law firm leaders who are trying to experiment and figure things out and find a way to help their firms become more diverse. And some of them are doing it simply to respond to pressure from their clients. Others are doing it because they believe in it, again, for the moral reason or because they get the business case. But either way, they have a personal belief, and so they're trying to drive some of those changes. Some fascinating things are going on. There are some firms that are starting to experiment with a blind resume screening process, meaning I don't know the name of the person on this resume. So I don't have a bias, my own implicit bias, for somebody's name who sounds like mine, and perhaps an implicit bias against somebody who has a name I find strange or difficult to pronounce. And that's something that some social science research has shown provides very different outcomes and opportunities for people if it's a blind review of a resume. So that's one example of something that some of the firms are doing. Um, A lot of firms are actually trying to identify people early on in their career who are diverse attorneys and saying, we're going to focus on creating opportunities that you might not otherwise get so that we can have a more diverse base of partners who are succeeding. Because what they also know is if you have that more diverse base, you are more likely to attract the talent who say, oh, I like this law firm because they have people who look like me or think like me or talk like me or whatever the you know, diverse characteristic happens to be. Um, I think this is one of the most interesting things that's happening right now in the world of diversity and inclusion is looking at all the little experiments that are going on all across the country and frankly in other countries as well. And hopefully at some point, some of the researchers will pull some of these experiments together and share some of the information about what seems like it has been making an impact and what seems like perhaps it has not been making that much of an impact so that everybody can learn from these experiments and hopefully at least the people who are committed to change can figure out, okay, this is something that works. I want to do more of that. John, do you think that the law firm leaders have a genuine, real commitment to making their firm diverse, or are they talking the talk versus walking the walk? I know there's been a lot of people coming down on both sides of that question. You know, I think that there are um, law firm leaders who are very committed to making their firms uh, much more diverse, and they do what they can to walk the walk. Now, what is important to understand is that some of these law firm leaders have developed a very good sense of self, a level of self-awareness, and understand where some of their implicit bias lies. And what they're doing is they haven't changed themselves. They still have that bias. What they're doing is trying to figure out how do I manage it. So as an example, there's a law firm leader who I interviewed for an article who told me that he had significantly changed the number of women who were being promoted in his large international law firm. And this is somebody who was not known for being a champion of women. And I said, so tell me how you made that happen. That's not been your reputation. What is it that you know, made this possible? And he said, very simply, he realized he wasn't putting women's names on the list of nominees for high-level committees within the firm. And he said he just put a post-it on his computer that reminded him he needed to make sure that every slate that he put forward had at least some women on it. He started to do that. And guess what? 
some of those women started to get picked, and it changed the dynamics in this very large international law firm. So sometimes it could be something that simple that can make it happen and create change. I do think, Sharon, that you're right that um, those folks who are cynical about this probably have a right to be. Um, if you look at the profession as a whole, we really haven't come very far in 40 years. In fact, in some areas, we've, act, we've gone backwards, and that's obviously disappointing and disheartening. And I think there are a lot of people who are just trying to figure out you know, we're lawyers, so one of the things we try to figure out is if there's a rule, how do I get around that rule? So in this case, if there is a client demand that we create a more diverse law firm, how do I game that system so that the client is happy with me, but I get to run my business the way I want to run my, you know, law firm? And so I think there are a lot of lawyers who are very cynical about it and, and aren't really putting forth an effort. The good news is, with each generation, I see more and more lawyers who seem to be very focused on trying to create a much more inclusive environment in their law firm. And that does give me some hope. Good. We're glad to hear that. You know, <laughs> today, uh, every photograph uh, shared by a major law firm is very careful to show diversity. Is that just for public consumption? And also, is there truth to that there's still a ceiling for many diverse lawyers? There is a ceiling, and it's an unfortunate one. I was just reading a statistic that said that 85% of diverse women lawyers leave the profession within seven years. That's pretty sobering. So that's diverse women leaving the profession within seven years. They're not leaving because they want to go have a child. They're not leaving because they decide they suddenly don't like the law anymore. They're leaving because they don't feel like they have the opportunities or they're not getting the opportunities, and they read the writing on the wall and say, we're not going to succeed here. So I think there is truth to that statement. And in terms of the photo, I just want to share a quick story with you about that photo. Um, it's not just the firm photo. It's also who the firms take on pitches when they go to see their clients. I was talking with an associate in Washington, D.C., a young black woman, who was having a particularly bad day, and I was in a conference room with some other associates at this firm, and she was listening to the other her colleagues talk about how to get ahead in the law firm. And she decided she had a better plan. And she said, I'm going to go in and tell the partners that I should be given credit for a significant portion of the firm's existing new client business. And all of her colleagues looked at her and said, who the heck are you? Why do you think you should get credit? And she said, my picture in my bio is on every pitch package that has gone out since I got to this law firm. And I have been on at least half the pitches the firm has made, even for work that I wouldn't be qualified to do. So if I'm that important to how the firm gets business from these clients, then I should be that important and get credit for that work. And the way we get credit in the law firm is through the book of business. I laughed, cautioned her. She probably wouldn't advance her career if she marched into the managing partner's office and said that. I share the story, though, because it's not the first time I've heard that story, and I know there's a thousand you know, young lawyers out there who have a similar story to share, uh, and it's a story of extreme frustration. John, that's certainly an interesting story. Let's take a brief pause now to hear from our sponsors. Looking for a process server you can trust? ServeNow.com is a nationwide network of local pre-screened process servers. ServeNow works with the most professional process servers in the country. Connect your firm with process servers who embrace technology, have experience with high-volume serves, and understand the litigation process and rules of properly effectuating service. Find a pre-screened process server today. Visit ServeNow.com. In recent years, the legal sector has come under increasing pressure to improve efficiency and client services. 
CloudMask enables law firms and solo attorneys to leverage free and low-cost software as a service, such as Google Apps and Office 365, to improve efficiency and client service while reducing costs, strengthening compliance with data privacy laws, and ensuring that legal ethical duties are met. CloudMask encryption is even certified by 26 governments around the world. Sign up now for your 60-day free account at cloudmask.com. Not getting enough cases from the internet or the kinds of cases you want? Scorpion can help. Over the last 15 years, Scorpion has helped thousands of law firms, just like yours, attract new cases and grow their practices. During this time, Scorpion has won over 100 awards for its law firm website design and online marketing success. Join the thousands of law firms which partner with Scorpion and start getting more cases today. For more information, visit scorpionlegal.com podcast. Welcome back to the Digital Edge on the Legal Talk Network. Today, our subject is attaining diversity in law firms, and our guest is John, the Purple Coach, Mitchell, who is the Managing Director of KM Advisors, LLC, in Chicago. John, I I certainly want to ask you why you call yourself the Purple Coach. So that's my initial question, followed by, do you think things are better or worse for diverse lawyers in small firms, and why? Well, Sharon, the Purple Coach story is literally a three-minute story, so if it's okay, I think I need to, to pass on that one. I'd oh, love shucks. to share it, All right. I'm, I know we're tight on time. <laughs> okay. All right. I'll get you later. Thank you. Uh, you know, in terms of whether things are better or worse for diverse lawyers in small firms, I, I did some research in preparation um, for this conversation, and I couldn't find anything that was specific enough that I felt like there was good data that suggested it is better in a small firm than it might be in a large firm. Um, That said, there is some research about the impact of leaders that suggests that the opportunities could be greater to create an inclusive environment in a small firm with less effort than it would be in a very large firm. And the reason for that is, you know, a strong leader can make a big difference in any organization. And when we're talking about creating a more inclusive environment, um, like we're talking about right now, that's a big culture change. And culture changes take lots of time, lots of effort, usually a period of years, to really make a significant difference. So a strong leader who's personally committed has a much better chance of moving the needle in a smaller firm simply because it takes less time to change that culture than it would if you were in a firm of 1,000 or more lawyers. How do you suggest that the law firm seriously implement diversity? Do they need a plan and a way to measure their results? You know, Jim, this is, I think, the $64 million question. I think that the biggest thing that needs to happen for law firms to really start to create a much more inclusive environment is to get more lawyers understanding business. And I know lots of lawyers have a business card that says attorney and counselor at law, and they talk about, you know, advising their clients on business issues. The reality is most lawyers in most firms, if they're not involved in day-to-day management of that firm, don't really understand how their firm makes money. And if you listen to GCs, they'll tell you that even the ones involved in firm management often don't understand how the clients make money. They don't understand the client's business. And that's a fundamental challenge because all of these GCs who are pushing to create more diverse legal departments and more diverse law firms They're not doing it because it's the right thing to do. Some of them believe that. That's not the reason, though, why they're pushing so hard. They're doing it because it makes good business sense. It aligns with their strategic business priorities. 
that's something that has to change if we're going to see a change in the legal profession, in my opinion. So if you have a plan, yes, it's a good thing. Put it in writing. Have a way to measure results. I think all of that is really important. But until we get more lawyers understanding that there are sound business reasons to change attitudes, to change behaviors, and to change beliefs, I don't think we're going to move the needle. And the last 40 years says we're not. Well, I wonder if there's a role for the ABA in moving the needle and helping the profession become more diverse. What do you think, John? I really think there is. You know, the American Bar Association is the largest professional association of lawyers in the United States. And in my opinion, it needs to take a strong leadership role in this area. And unfortunately, I don't think the ABA is doing it. It has had a lot of turmoil on staffing uh, in terms of looking at their chief diversity uh, officer and other roles in that department. If you look at the staffing in the American Bar Association itself, it is very diverse when we are at an administrative level, it is not nearly as diverse at the more senior leadership levels when we're talking about people who are employed by the American Bar Association. I think the ABA needs to talk about how it is going to fix its own house as a way of leading the profession rather than helping and telling the rest of the profession what it needs to do to become more diverse. Um, There are a lot of great diversity professionals working in the American Bar Association, unfortunately, most of them are not even close to the senior levels of that organization. And I think that limits their ability to help create change. I think it's a huge problem for the profession that the ABA is not playing a stronger role. Well, uh, we have a few ABA people who listen to our podcast, so maybe you'll get that (laughs) message uh, sent through that media. John, what are your final thoughts on where we are today compared to the past and where we will be in the next five to 10 years? You know, as I said earlier, we haven't really moved the needle very much at all as a profession, and that is very, very disheartening. I don't think we're likely to move the needle anytime soon. I don't think my recommendation that more lawyers learn about business is likely to happen anytime soon. And that suggests that, if I'm correct in, in my you know, theory here, that the profession really isn't going to change. Um, that's sad as somebody who, you know, is a diverse lawyer himself. That said, I actually think there is going to be massive change in diversity and inclusion in the legal profession. It's not going to happen, though, because law firms decide to change. It's going to happen because all sorts of alternative legal providers who are out there right now taking business away from law firms see the world differently and behave differently and sell differently, and they're going to create change. And when we have some of the things that the lawyers in the United States believe will never happen, like ownership of a law firm by someone who is not a practicing lawyer, (laughs) when that day does come, and believe me, it is going to come, I don't think you need to worry about some of these other companies out there that are talking about this. You just have to look at a company like Deloitte, who already has more lawyers than most big law firms, you know, have as you look across their business across the world. They're going to go after the big law firms. All of these alternative survivors are going to, or, or providers are going to go after the medium and smaller firms. And I think that if you're a solo, you might be okay in this, maybe, for a little while. Everybody else, you better start thinking about your next job. And I think that's where we're going to see the greatest change in creating diversity in the legal profession, is the profession itself, I think, is on the cusp of being disrupted. And I think that disruption is going to lead into this type of change. Well, I heard the sound of a guillotine dropping there, John. 
And I agree. I agree with you. I think it's coming, and I think it will devastate some people who refuse change because there's change that's coming, whether we want it or don't want it. And your comments today about attaining diversity—they certainly were very insightful. Great stories. Um, I think that this is something that we need more of in CLE, and that our listeners are going to be delighted to have heard your wonderful comments about this and your thoughts about how to attain diversity in the legal profession. And I'm sorry that it's as dismal as it is, but I remain ever. Rebecca of Sunnybrook Farm. So I will remain optimistic. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us today, John. It was great. Well, Jim and Sharon, thank you for having me. I appreciate that. And uh, I hope that uh, we all can continue to be Rebecca of Sunnybrook Farm and uh, and stay positive because if we don't stay positive, for sure no change is going to happen. So (laughs) it's been my pleasure. Thank you. That does it for this edition of the Digital Edge Lawyers and Technology. And remember, you can subscribe to all the editions of this podcast at LegalTalkNetwork.com or on iTunes. And if you enjoyed our podcast, please rate us on iTunes. Thanks for joining us. Goodbye, Miss Sharon. Happy trails, cowboy. Thanks for listening to the Digital Edge, produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network. Join Sharon Nelson and Jim Calloway for their next podcast covering the latest topic related to lawyers and technology. Subscribe to the RSS feed on LegalTalkNetwork.com or in iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.